Ladies and gentlemen, Emmy Award winner, Jimmy Fallon. Party. Everybody ready to party. Everybody ready to party. Everybody ready to party. Everybody ready to party. Stop the music. Stop it. You can edit all this out. Ow! Help me, Neil. Don't just stare at a human like this. Ow! Oh. Roll the nominees. Roll the nominees. Just roll them. The nominees for Outstanding Original Music and Lyrics are... Well, Jimmy Fell. Jimmy Fallen Falls, I guess. And that's... Him obviously staging that, I hope, and goofing around, um, and he takes a, a spill as he comes forward to present at the, at the Emmy Awards a, a few years ago. But I don't think he necessarily had this in mind when he had this fall and set this whole comedy routine up. But I wonder if he knows what a wonderful metaphor that is for the Genesis story about the fall of humankind, because it, it really truly is. We start here with wanting to party. Who doesn't want to party? Well, my wife and I are going to party today. It's her birthday, so we're celebrating with Sally. That's really great. Yep, praise God for that. Let's face it. I mean, you know, she's like the whole reason I'm happy uh, in a lot of ways, and uh, I live for her and for Jesus, not in that order, but really very close after Jesus. So we're going to celebrate, and it's worth celebrating, and we're going to party, but here's what the book of Genesis says, happens to us. And it's not just to Adam and Eve, it's to us. Remember, in the Hebrew of the Old Testament, Adam means mankind, and Eve means the similar kind of thing of, of that same mankind. And so the story of Adam and Eve isn't just the story about them, it's the story about us. So as we read about them, it helps us understand the mess we're in, the predicament we're in, the fall that has happened that leads to suffering. And the way we get from suffering back up to the party is repentance. And I suppose you could add another step in here, which is following Jesus. And now you can't read my writing anymore, but trust me, it's there. Here's how we fall, though, is we start to get comfortable. And this is what happened to Adam and Eve. They were living in the Garden of Eden, everything they needed, they had. Uh, they, had uh, they had unashamed uh, an existence and love, and they had animals, and they had uh, food to eat and air to breathe. It was paradise on earth, and they were never going to die. Remember that part of the story. God did not create, a, create Adam and Eve with the intent that they would die. He created them for eternity to live in this Garden of Eden. It's heaven on earth is what it is. It's God's kingdom breaking through. That was God's intent from the beginning. But then we look around this world, and we know what's happening, and we hear about the terrible storms that, that hit just south of here. And this is where some of you reside, in Winterset and Norwalk and, and those areas and beyond further to the east then throughout the state of Iowa last night. And the devastation that they leave in their, this storm left in its wake. We go to sleep last night to the news that at least six people have died, including a couple of kids down in Winterset. This is our neighborhood. This is our community. We've got a lot of hope people down there. And then it goes through Norwalk, and it totals houses, and it, it just leaves this trail. And we look around, and we say, God, where are you? How come? 
How come this evil stuff is happening? How, how come we have to suffer? How come we can't just party all the time and, and, and dance around and use an electronic voice that sounds like Daft Punk? And, and we can jump around and, and celebrate at the Emmys, but then we, we fall. We fall because sometimes when we get too comfortable, there's nothing wrong with being comfortable except that the enemy of God knows that that's when we're most susceptible to his temptations. And when we give in to those temptations, we fall. And that's the story. When we start to get too full of ourselves, you know what the Bible says in Proverbs, pride comes before the fall. And so here we are, a fallen world. We live in this world that is upside down. And we pray, God, let your kingdom come. Thy kingdom come on earth. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven because it isn't right now. That's the very strong implication that Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. We pray, God, for your kingdom to come so that life on this earth can be more like it is in heaven. What's life like in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven? Well, the Bible tells us there are no tornadoes, there is no war, there is no violence caused by division, there is no hatred, there is no greed, there is no pride. There is no gossip. There is no on and on and on the list. Lost, the on and on and on the list goes. There's no abuse. There's no using people. There's no selfishness. It's the Garden of Eden. Which is why this story is so important for us to know. And as we begin this Lenten journey that we started just a few days ago on Ash Wednesday, we look to the Garden of Eden to help us better understand why we have what we have. God created human beings in his own image, Genesis 1 says, the first chapter of the Bible. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Men and women are created in God's image, the Bible says. He takes, as I preached about a few weeks ago, the dust to the ground, the earth, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. He takes the dust of the ground and he breathes his spirit into it, the breath of life, the breath of God, and it becomes a living being with a soul. It becomes us. But the story takes a horrible turn from there, from this beauty of God's creation, that God gave us everything we need in this world. I mean, when's the last time you stopped to think about that? That this earth is tilted at 23 degrees at just the, the exact kind of tilt that we need. And, and it's spinning at just the right rate. And it's just the right distance from a, 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 from a sun that God has created to, to give us warmth and heat and light. And, 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 and we're, we're able to breathe. And God gives us just the right content of oxygen to keep us alive. And, and allows us to have all the, all the food and, and water and everything we need in order to not just survive but to thrive. God's given us everything we need, but oh, the fruit on the one tree that God told us not to bite into. It looks so good. So we turn the page from Genesis 1, where God creates the heavens and the earth, and 2, where he puts us in this garden where we have everything we need, to chapter 3, where the tree looks so beautiful to Adam and Eve. And it's so delicious. And it's so tempting. And when they give in to the temptation, they fall. And as soon as they bite into that fruit, Genesis 3, God shows up and he says, who, you're going to suffer now. Why? Why does it have to be this way? Why do we have to live in a world of tornadoes and in a world that's so fragile that one authoritarian leader 
can rise up and decide to declare war on a sovereign nation and send troops in there. In many cases, reports are lying to his troops about their motivation, that it's a freedom mission, that they're going to go in there and they're, they're, they're going to be welcomed by the Ukrainians, and it's just going to be awesome. And then the soldiers are absolutely blown away from Russia when they get there, and the Ukrainians are lying down in front of their tanks and sacrificing their bodies to try to stop the convoy. What kind of a world is it that one man can create a war, can start a war that has Europe on edge and really the whole world on edge? Because, you know, history has not been kind over the last century or so to, to wars that start like this in Europe at the hands of one ruthless leader. So it causes all sorts of concern. And, and, and it puts us on, on alert. And, and the, the global economy starts to kind of wobble a little bit too. What a world is this that one man can do that? Can, can exact all of that suffering on so many different people so that there's now 1.3 million, the, the news this morning reported in the Wall Street Journal, 1.3 million people who are now refugees who have to leave their homes. What if 1.3 million people had to leave Iowa and we couldn't come back? And our homes have been completely wiped out and devastated. And the life that we knew was gone. And now we have to go to some neighboring country, like Nebraska. <laughs> Just kidding, I love Nebraska. I do, I really do. It's fun to drive through. And so we, <laughs> it, it is, it's really fun, it's awesome. So we, you, 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 you have to go, not just to another state, a, a whole other life. There's a Hebrew word in the Old Testament that describes our condition. It's over there. You don't have to pronounce it. It just, in English, it's a simple definition. It means dust, ashes. This is the last, one of the last things God says to Adam and Eve after they fall. It might sound familiar if you were here on Ash Wednesday, like most of you were, and you had somebody mark your forehead the same place where you were marked at your baptism with the sign of the cross, the life-giving cross of Jesus Christ. But this time, once a year on Ash Wednesday, because it's our story, it's not just Adam and Eve's story. We remember what God said to Adam and Eve after they fell, after we fall, after humanity. Remember Adam's humanity, after we fall. Remember, Adam and Eve, that you're dust, and to dust you shall return. That's the context for Ash Wednesday. It's not just some liturgical phrase that a bunch of pastors came up with. It's Genesis 3. You were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Jesus says, in this world you're going to have trouble, John 16, 33. This is a world that's upside down and is suffering. And I think it's important for us, and good and even spiritually healthy for us, to say, how come it has to be like this? I hope your faith is mature enough that you can ask those questions. You do know, right, that the longest book of the Bible, the Psalms, 150 chapters, at least a third of them are Psalms of lament, people crying out in their suffering, people who've fallen. How come, God? How long? Why does it have to be this way? God is not only okay with our questions and our concerns and even our doubts, he gives us a script. 
He said, in this fallen world, God knows you're going to feel this way sometimes. A tornado rips through your community and leaves devastation in its wake. A, a war rages in Eastern Europe and, and puts the whole world on edge. I mean, unless we're just denying it and sweeping it under the rug and pretending it isn't happening. A pandemic over the last two years kills millions of people on planet Earth. How come? Why has it got to be like this? And there are responses, not mine, God's, that he has for us in the reading of scripture. We start to put these things together. We read books like Job, and we read about a man who had to endure incredible suffering through no sin of his own. Let me repeat that again. Through no sin of his own. It's not like people in Winterset, south of, of that community, are somehow worse sinners than the people on the other side of Winterset or, or, or who live in, in different communities around the Des Moines area. Through no sin of their own, the Bible says. So why? Well, sometimes the Bible does tell stories about who through your sin. I mean, if you, if you go out and have a picnic on 235, you might get hurt. Right, that's your sin. You, it's hard to say, God, why? Why did I get run over by the semi-truck? Well, because you had a picnic on 235. That was your evil decision. That was your wrong. That was your sinful thing that you did. But why the tornado in Winterset? Why 1.3 million refugees? Why, why do people have to go to grave sites and mourn? Why is there a pandemic? Why? And God's answer is, because you live in a fallen world. Because this isn't heaven yet. I beg your pardon, God says, but since the fall of you, not just those two who are in the Garden of Eden, since the fall of you, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. Not this side of heaven. The world's upside down. So I keep telling you, Jesus told you, you're going to have trouble. Not through any necessarily individual sin of your own all the time, but because of the collective sin of humanity. Because it's upside down. Things are off. Things are not right. We aren't in a kingdom yet where there is no suffering. We aren't in a kingdom yet where there is no sorrow. We aren't in a kingdom yet where there is no death. But it's coming. We pray for it. Thy kingdom come. And so we keep the faith. Original sin, I mean the simplest definition that I could possibly come up with to, to share this with you in a way that I hope brings the hay down to a level that everybody, a, a third grader could get it. Original sin is Adam and Eve and every single one of us refusing to accept our status, refusing to accept who we are as being under God. Watch the tree that God says you can't eat out, off of, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which of course is a wonderful way of saying you don't get to know what I know. You don't get to see what I see. You aren't the creator of the universe. You don't have the power to put time and space into existence. You live inside the boundaries of that time and space that I've created for you to bring order to your lives in a fallen world. I'm the God who makes it all. I, I'm different than you. I'm creator, you're created. Original sin is, oh, I wanna be creator too. I'm not saying we can't be creative as a gift that God gives to us. I'm just saying we don't get to control the universe. We don't, we don't get to know what only God knows. 
We don't get to see what only God sees. Isaiah says this. God says this through the prophet Isaiah. He says, my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. What I see is not what you see. I'm like the parent who sees and tells the little child, this is what you need to eat. You can't eat cake every meal. You have to sleep at night. You can't stay up till three in the morning when you're two. It's just not going to be good for you. And the kid's like, why? Why? Because cake is so much better and I don't want to go to sleep. And naps are evil. But you, you're not the kid. You're the parent. You see what the child doesn't see. And so our Heavenly Father comes and says, you're the child. You're not the Heavenly Father. I see what you don't see. And there's some things that are going to happen to you. And some things where you're going to say, come on, why? Why? How come it has to be like this? It doesn't make any sense. And there's always going to be a little bit of mystery or a lot of mystery to that. This side of heaven in a fallen world. Things that we won't see. 1 Corinthians says, now we see in a mirror dimly lit. But when the kingdom comes, we'll see and know fully and completely. Then we'll see God face to face. Until then, what does God want us to do? Keep the faith. Trust me. You don't get to control the universe. You don't get to know everything that I know. You don't get to bite into that fruit. Just trust me. Trust the one who does. Put your faith in the one who does. Put your faith even when you can't see answers for everything that goes wrong. Now that's a deeper faith. That's a deeper walk with Jesus. And that's how we go from fall and suffering to repentance and following Jesus, which leads us back to the party in the kingdom of heaven. God speaks this word to our world right when we need it most. And so it's okay to ask why. It's okay. I think it's good for us to do that once in a while. But it's also important for us not to get so lost in that that we forget who we are. The Bible says we're the body of Christ. And individually members of it. And collectively when we get together we can make a huge difference. We could, we could collect and raise and send hundreds of thousands of dollars during the season of Lent between now and Easter to go to Ukrainian refugees. We can, and I believe we will, because that's what the body of Christ does. We don't just sit around and ask why. We say, how, God, would you like us to be a part of the healing? How would you like to move through us? What would you like to do through us? which is what we'll do in Winterset in Norwalk if they need it there too. As a church this week, we'll get together and we'll announce it, I'm sure, on social media and we'll say, here's what we're doing to help with the cleanup. Here's what we're helping to come alongside of families if there's that need. Not just how come, why, but where, how, what can we do? Where can we go? How can we activate our faith and put the love that you've given to us in action, Lord? And we're gonna pray too. Oh, I know. I hear it, I see it on social media. People are like, enough with the thoughts and prayers. We don't need the thoughts and prayers, we need action. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We're on it. We're moving, we're already on the ground in Ukraine and Poland through our mission partner, Convoy of Hope. We'll be down in Winterset and Norwalk and anywhere else they need us. We'll move while the Twitterverse is sitting on their phones and complaining and doing nothing other than complaining about thoughts and prayers do nothing. Well, neither does your tweet. 
And I would add one correction to that. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Never underestimate the power of the one you're praying to and his ability to move and his ability to mend and to heal and to restore and to act through his church. Never underestimate what God can do and the one that we're talking to when we pray. And so unapologetically, we're going to pause right in the middle of this sermon. And I know we've already prayed for these things here and at all of our other locations, I'm sure, too. Hello, Waukee. Hello, Grimes. Hello, Ames. Hello, Hope Elam. Hello, uh, Ankeny. Hello, local sites. Hello, people who are online. Let's pray. God, we turn to you because nothing less will do. We turn to you and we cry out along in chorus with the psalmists who say, why God? How come? It's hard for us to see when we're fallen. It's hard for us to see when we're suffering. But we do put our trust in you. We do put our faith in you. We do know that you are a God who is good. And that you are a God who promises that your kingdom will come. God, we're sorry for our sin, for our refusing to accept our condition, for our original sin, to not trust you, to not put our faith in you, to try to control what only you can control. God, um, we're sorry for what that does to us. We're sorry for what that does to our relationship with you. We're sorry for what that does collectively to the world around us. Forgive us, renew us, lead us and guide us so that we might we may find your way, the better way of Jesus Christ, and rise up again and live the life that you've called us to live. God, specifically, we pray for the 1.3 million and counting refugees from Ukraine who are seeking new life in other countries. We pray for them. We pray for those who are still in Ukraine. We pray for peace. We pray that um, you will break through into the hearts of those who are pushing this attack and that you will be in the minds giving wisdom and discernment to leaders of nations all around the world so that they can be instruments of your peace. God, we know we're praying to the Prince of Peace. We know we're praying to you who sent your son to teach us that blessed are the peacemakers. And so we pray that you would work through us, your church, to bring greater peace on this earth. That your kingdom would come and that life on this earth would be closer to as it is in heaven. Give us glimpses of that kingdom while we wait. Teach us to keep the faith. We also pray specifically for those who have been devastated by the tornadoes just south of here where I stand today. God, we pray for them who are tuned in right now and maybe are living in a shamble of what's left of their home. God, I pray for um, the relief efforts. I, I pray for everyone who's there. God, I pray also specifically, hear the prayers of the thousands of people who are praying to you together right now. Individually, silently, we lift up in our hearts, sighs too deep for words sometimes of the challenges that are before us individually, the things that we're up against, the anxieties, the fears, the worries, the concerns. Hear our prayer, Lord. In your mercy, 
Thank you for this gift to be able to tap into this, this, uh, this walk with you through prayer, to strengthen our relationship with you. Bless all those who are praying this prayer together. God, uh, we pray for your kingdom to come. We pray that it will be on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray for you to comfort all those who mourn today. God, especially those who mourn um, the deaths that have come from this tornado, the deaths that come from this war. We pray and we thank you for being a God of resurrection and hope, even in the face of death. We turn to you then because nothing less will do. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Don't underestimate the power of prayer because here comes God right on time. If you've never read the Old Testament before or even if you have, this is pretty much a summary of the entire Old Testament. And you know it's like a revolving door where there is no exit. Round and round Israel goes, the people of God. They go from being up and being faithful to getting a little too comfortable to getting tempted by, by the enemy of God to falling and suffering to repenting to following God again and then being restored. Round and round it goes. And we can find ourselves on that same cycle. And so God has a word for us today. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. This is what Isaiah the prophet says to God's people, Israel in the Old Testament, who have been forced into exile as refugees. To leave their homeland and to have to go live under the, uh, under the thumb of the Babylonian Empire. They're oppressed. They have no freedom. And God has a word for them. Isaiah stands up and he says, it's going to get better. And it's not because I say so, and it's not because I just want to give you a pep talk, and it's not because I'm running for office. I'm just here to tell you the truth of what God says. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. The Lord's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and that's most of you. To proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be set free. There will be hope. To all who mourn, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes. Everyone say beauty for ashes. Adam and Eve. Remember that you're dust, you're ashes, and to dust and ashes you will return. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But I'll give you beauty for ashes. It wasn't that long ago that uh, we were at the funeral for my brother-in-law, Joe, my wife Sally's brother, who died of ALS after a courageous three-year battle. And we were there, and his body was cremated, and Sally was asked to pour his ashes into the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And as that's happening, and I'm looking at this woman, who I love more than life itself, and my heart is just going out to her. She's so strong, though. She's so strong in her faith. And she kneels down, and she starts to ever so respectfully pour out her brother's ashes into the ground. Two things struck me. One is... How humbling it is to think of a man who had so much life and so much vigor and so much color and so much joy and so much to give to be reduced to these ashes. But the second thing that really struck me is how beautiful the ashes were. I wasn't expecting that. I didn't expect to see that. 
how glorious it was on a certain level because the God who took the dust of the ground once upon a time will do it again. He promises he will for Joe and he will for you too. I'll take your ashes and I'll give you beauty. And I've been saying this for centuries. Put your faith in me. Who else are you going to turn to? This is what the disciples say when everybody's leaving Jesus because his teaching, well, it's just too truthful. It doesn't fit in with the ways of a fallen world. Of course it doesn't. It's the contrary to it. And so Jesus says to his disciples, are you going to leave too? And they say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else can we get that? I'll give beauty for your ashes. I'll give life for your death. I'll give light for your darkness. I'll give hope for your despair. I'll give healing for the tornadoes that ravage through. I'll bring peace to the wars if you just let me move. But you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to put your faith in me and humble yourself a little bit. And let me go and follow me instead of trying to lead me, God says. Jesus picks up on this. In Luke chapter 4, the story is told, man, do I love this story. Jesus is the Bible reader for the day. Like we have volunteer Bible readers at all of our different campuses. And here comes Jesus in his hometown uh, house of worship, his synagogue. And he stands up and it's his turn and he takes the scroll out and he picks Isaiah 61. And he opens it up and these words look familiar because they were the ones on the screen right before, from seven centuries before. Jesus reads it again, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Here comes the good news. Here comes the freedom. The oppressed will be set free. The captives will be released. And then Jesus reads, and the time of the Lord's favor has come, the beauty for ashes. But that's not the best part. That's pretty good, right? So these people who are now oppressed by the Roman Empire, not living in full freedom, God's people Israel, show up for worship that day. Like we show up for worship today, not living in a perfect world, living in a very fallen world, a messy world. They show up that day and Jesus picks a text as the volunteer Bible reader. There's a very hopeful word. It's going to get better. The time of the Lord's favor will come. Ah, that's not what it says, though. It has come. Jesus did a little paraphrase there. It's not he will give you beauty for ashes. I'm bringing it now. Because then, next part of the story, Jesus rolls up the scroll. I'm thinking, just picture like Clint Eastwood in a Western. Puts the scroll around, turns around, he says, one more thing. Today, as you've heard this prophecy read to you at worship, this prophecy has been fulfilled. <laughs> right here and right now. And I'm it, Jesus says. Come and follow me. If they had pins, you could have heard one drop, right? The carpenter's kid? Granted, he was valedictorian and he never seems to sin. But the carpenter's kid? He's the one we're supposed to follow? Yeah. Because he's not just the carpenter's kid, he's God's kid. Actually, he's God in the flesh, and so Jesus says, follow me. It's a pretty simple invitation, and it's the invitation that I want to invite you to take during the season of Lent. 
What if your relationship with Jesus Christ was a relationship and it wasn't just a series of religious activities? What if you had a living, breathing relationship with the God who has the power to create an earth just right so that you can live and breathe and thrive? And who can promise and follow through on his promises over and over and over again to restore his people? All we have to do is follow him. All we have to do is believe. All we have to do is trust. Now when we do, it's going to radically change us. We're going to stop living for ourselves first and foremost. We'll still trip up. We've all sinned and fall short. And so we're not just talking about those horrible people who fall and that's why the world's so messed up. Turn to the person next to you, wherever you are, and say, we're talking about you too. You're you're a horrible sinner. Just go ahead and say that. (laughs) We all are. If it makes you feel better, say, you too, preacher. Thanks a lot. But it's true. We are dust. This is who we are. We are ashes. But what does God do with the ashes? Beauty. Life. New and eternal. How do you get it? Well, you're not going to get it if you follow the world. You're not going to get it if you go, yeah, thoughts and prayers as if. You're going to get it when you surrender your life to the one who brings the kingdom. This is what he says at the beginning of his ministry according to Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand and I'm it. Follow me. Repent. Change the way you think. Come and follow me instead of the world and watch what it does to you. Watch how you start to find your your stride and your rhythm in life. Like you never, you say, oh my goodness, I wasn't born to be selfish. I wasn't born to make life all about me. I was killing me. I was born to be a part of the relief efforts down in Winterset this week or next week. I was born to be a part of a church that's gathering together all of the offerings that we can and sending them to people we've never met on the other side of the world. Not just for what it does for them, but what it does to us. And I pray to God, not just so that God will hear and respond, but I pray because of what it will do to me and how I'll start to be reminded over and over and over again as I repent and follow, that that's the doorway into the party. I mean, if you really want the party that's going to last. It came that you might have this life and have it to the full, Jesus says. And so we come. Those of you who grew up Lutheran, remember the liturgical little hymn that we used to sing at the Lord's Supper? I'm not going to sing it, but the lyrics go like this. Lamb of God, You take away the sin of the world. Grant us peace. Grant us peace. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world, a fallen world. You restore us, you resurrect us, you raise us up. Because through faith we belong to your son who took on death and died. But he rose up. And the Bible says through faith we belong to him. And so what happens to him happens to us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world that would keep us fallen and you make us new again. Grant us this peace and this freedom and this hope. I'm going to turn it over to the campus pastors, but not yet. Just want to do a couple of minutes on what we're doing here. It started on Wednesday, the season of Lent with the ashes, this proclamation of who we are, of how mortal we are the reality of our mortality. 
But now we follow Jesus. Come and follow me, Jesus says. And he says, hey, I've got a place for you at my table today. So come and get it. This is my body, Jesus says, which is given for you. Respectfully, I know there are a lot of Christians and churches out there who teach, yeah, the bread and the wine of communion is really neat. It's symbolic of something that happened way back when. But that's as far as they go. And again, respectfully, I just want to say they're just missing the best part of the party. Because Jesus says so much. In fact, he never says, this is just a symbol. There's nothing in the Bible that says, it's just a symbol. Do you know what Jesus says in the Bible? This is my body. I'm in it. It's still bread. It still tastes like bread, but it's my body. I'm in it. So you're not just getting bread. It'll taste like bread. Not the most delicious bread you ever ate. It's not the bread you get at Bravo with the olive oil. Oh, it's so good. But this, it's powerful stuff. This is my body given for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. And then it points us back into history, to the central story of the Old Testament. God's people talk about fallen. They're living as slaves for generations in the land of Egypt. And they're crying out, how come? How long? Where are you, God? God is faithful and God breaks through and he sends these plagues and he, he lifts up a prophet named Moses. He says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, time has come, I'm gonna lead you out of slavery into the freedom of a new life in a promised land. The first nine plagues don't soften Pharaoh's heart, so he sends a tenth plague, the plague of death. He sends an angel of death to all the homes. But this classic artistic depiction of that night shows a faithful family inside having done what God told them to do through the prophet Moses. Make an offering. Back then offerings were livestock. Make an offering of an unblemished lamb. Take the blood from that lamb and not as a symbol but as a mark, as a sign painted on the doorposts of your homes. So when the angel of death comes, it will pass over your home, that's where the name Passover comes from. The angel of death will pass over your home and you will be saved. So now listen to this. You're not just participating in a meal that's a symbolic remembrance of something that happened once upon a time. You're going all the way back, right through the upper room with Jesus and his disciples to this Passover meal because Jesus is sharing that Passover meal with his Jewish disciples and he says, the, body of the, the bread of the Passover meal now, this is my body. And then he says, next screen, the blood of the Passover, the wine of the Passover meal, this is my blood. Poured out as a sacrifice to forgive sins. If you come and get it like that, it's done to you. Even if you have the tiniest mustard seed of imperfect faith, even if you don't feel it, trust God's promise. This is my body, this is my blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. This is even better than the bread at Bravo. This is life-changing stuff. And then Luther reminds us, but it's not, don't get, don't get into the habit of thinking it's magic. Like, oh, I need the bread, I need the wine. It's holy. No, no, no. What's holy is the promise of God connected to the bread and the wine, Luther says. It's not the bread and the wine that do this, but God's promise. This is my body. This is my blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And then it doesn't just point us into history. It points us forward into the future, this heavenly feast that Isaiah talks about. And then on the screen after that one, go ahead, Mary. It says in Luke 22, Jesus says, I'm not going to eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. But you do. 
You do it for a glimpse of the kingdom of God, a glimpse of the Garden of Eden, a glimpse of the hope, a glimpse of the beauty for your ashes, a glimpse of my power to make all things new, a glimpse of the one who is the resurrection and the life. I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Not because you're religious, not because you're worthy, not because you're moral, but because you and I are sinners and nothing less will do. We can't get up from being fallen by pretending we're okay, which is kind of the religious game these days. I'm sure God's fine with all of my sin. No, what God says is, I want to forgive all of your sins. And I want to teach you to follow me and put you on a new path and change your whole life. So we turned, we started in the first book of the Bible, we'll end in the last book, Revelation. So come and get it. The spirit and the bride say come. Let anyone who hears this say come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Now I'll turn it over to the campus pastors. Here in West Des Moines, I invite the communion servers to come to their stations. And just to remind you, in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, broke it, gave thanks, and gave it for all to eat, even the one who'd betray him, even the one who'd deny him. You're welcome here at this table. This is my body, Jesus says to all of them, of imperfect faith. For the forgiveness of all your sins, take it and eat it. Again, after supper, he took the cup of the Passover meal. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this to remember me. Let's say grace. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory, forever and ever, amen. Lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil which leads to the fall and the suffering. And what do we have left? An invitation to follow Jesus and to celebrate, to sit down together, if you will, at this meal. Come forward and receive it. It's the Lutheran altar call. You've heard God's grace and his love and his offer of forgiveness. Follow me, he says. So get up. Come. The ushers will direct you. Take the bread that's given to you. Eat it. Take the wine then. Pick the red wine or the white grape juice, whichever is better for you. Drink it and put the cup, the empty cup, in the little uh, basket. (laughs) Thank you for holding it up. That was wonderful. That was awesome. If you need gluten-free or want gluten-free, it's over on the sides. You can go there right now. Also, for the sake of time and moving, transitioning between this and the next service, we're going to worship and sing while we uh, share this meal together. After you get it, you can go if you want. You can stay if you want. You can do whatever you want if you want. And there will be people up here who will pray with you alongside as well. So let's continue to be the church. Amen?